Great time in Spain. She gives me the small square of cardstock. Lisa Williams, owner and executive chef, Cafe Soro. She gives me a little nod and moves in the direction of Chef Aiden. I stare at the card in my palm. I tuck it into my jacket pocket, just as I'm swept up by Buela. She hugs me so hard, we rock back and forth. I'm so proud of you, Nena. This is amazing. The food was good, and everybody looked happy. They all cleaned their plates. I could taste you in the sweet potato. You made those, right? They tasted just like you. Even baby Emma could tell. I look at the stroller where baby girl is licking the palm of her hand. Buela and I are still rocking on our feet, but she suddenly pulls me back. Oh, I'm being rude. Let me introduce you to someone. Behind her is a short, skinny man with one of those old-school fedora hats. He has glasses and a huge mustache and the sweetest eyes. This is Joseph Jagola. He works at Dr. Burke's office. I went there to pass out flyers last week. The office made a donation. I smile at Mr. Jagoda. Thanks so much for supporting us. It seems Julio's grassroots efforts have inspired Buela. Then I'm being hugged up by Angelica, and Julio's barbershop friends each give me dabs and pat me on the back. Baby girl smiles in her stroller and shakes her sticky hand at me. I break away from everyone and pick her up, letting her sweet baby scent ground me. I don't know how I'll get the rest of this money but I know that I did more for this single day than I ever thought possible, and that's something to be proud of. Hook, Line, and Sinker My classmates are still hyped the next day when we arrive at school. I'm glad that for the first time in a month and a half, none of us have early shifts for the rest of the week. Chef tried to cancel our lunches entirely, he told us he announced it at a staff meeting that after the winter dinner, he'd be pulling the program, but the other teachers threw a fit. So restaurant lunches will start back up in the new year on Tuesdays and Thursdays. Anyone who shows up early to cook gets extra credit, and anyone who shows up to serve gets to keep their tips. And since I need extra money and extra credit, I will be showing up as often as I can. When we got home after the dinner... I asked Buela if she could lend me the money for the trip's final deposit. I'll put in a double shift at the Burger John to pay her back. But she told me she'd already spent her last disability check on bills and Christmas gifts for family back home. Not to mention, she donated the night of the winter dinner. She offered to return the gifts or ask a friend for help, but the look in her eyes was so sad and ashamed, I patted her arm and told her I'd work it out. I thought about asking Julio for it, but when I was telling him about the dinner, he cut me off to say that I inspired him and he's sponsoring a holiday block party to raise money for the local school. I knew he'd say educating the undereducated is more important than traveling to Europe and I wouldn't even be able to argue. I push these thoughts away as I'm cleaning my station. Malachi comes over and leans his elbows near my burners. Hey, Santi. I have a hookup to some tickets for the Disney on Ice show this weekend. You want to go? Since when do you have Philly hookups? He smirks. Is that a yes? He's standing close to me, and I wonder how he can smell so good when we've been sweating and dealing with food all class. I don't know, Malachi. I don't really date like that, and this sounds like a date. I wipe my area, making sure not to get too close to my burners or to Malachi. Both would probably leave me singed. 
See, that's the thing, though. This wouldn't be a date, he says and smiles wide, showing off all his teeth. I can get a couple of tickets. You can invite Angelica, her girlfriend, bring little Queen Emma. Even your abuela can come if that will get you to say yes. Dang. Malachi knows just how to get to me, hooking up my entire family with tickets to something we've always seen in commercials but never in real life puts a lump in my throat. I finish with my station and grab my bag from the cubby. I clear my throat. That's really nice of you, Malachi. It means a lot to me. I could use some fun. What day? Don't go getting soft on me, Santi. But he doesn't look at me. I think we are both so used to dissing each other that in this moment of sincerity we feel shy. The tickets are for this Saturday. I'll organize my people. You want help cleaning your station? Chef will get angry if he sees you haven't unplugged your burners. But Malachi weighs me off. Nah, you already made the kids' day. Complications I've always had a feeling Malachi was interested, even if he hasn't said those exact words. And to be honest, even if he had said those exact words, I probably wouldn't have believed them. If there's one thing I learned from Tyrone, it's that a person can say all kinds of things, but it may not be more than that, just speech. Malachi's actions, however, tell me time and again that he's feeling me, and I don't know what to do about it. It takes me the whole bus ride home to get the courage to bring it up to Angelica, and even then I hide it behind Malachi's invitation. Angelica is immediately on her phone texting Laura. Cool. She says she's free, so we're both good to go. I'm quiet on the walk to my house. Angelica comes inside with me. She's going to take photographs of a new mural in Port Richmond this afternoon, and there's a thrift store there that offers cash for secondhand clothes. She's offered to sell a bag of old shirts and jeans for me. We're upstairs in my room where I'm tossing the clothes into a large plastic bag. I hope I can earn enough to make a dent on what I owe for the trip. I have a ton of baby girl's clothing that doesn't fit her anymore, and I throw in two brand-name shirts I got last Christmas that I hope will sell for a good amount. That shirt is cute. Why are you giving it away? She says, grabbing a Doc McSuffin shirt from the top of the pile. Because it doesn't fit baby girl, unless you're having a child sometime soon, I say, raising an eyebrow at her. Oh, yep, that's at the top of Laura's to-do list, get me pregnant. Angelica plumps up the pillow and leans back on my bed. So, is this like a double date this weekend? What? No, in fact, he even invited Buela and baby girl. Oh, that's deep. He's already trying to get in with the family. I stop what I'm doing. I think he's serious about going out with me. It's just, you know how I am with boys. Angelica grabs a shirt from my hands and folds it. You are scared of being hurt, girl, and you never think you have time for yourself. I shake my head. I don't have time for myself, and I don't have time for boys. Angelica and I fold silently side by side. When the bag is full, she ties it up tight, and I walk her downstairs. At the doorway, she pauses. Maybe it's not about time, Imani. Maybe it's about having things on your terms. Being with Malachi... It doesn't have to look like anything except what you two make it. And if anyone can take ingredients that shouldn't work and make something delicious out of them, it's you. Give my goddaughter a hug for me.
pride. It's Wednesday, two days left before the money is due. I finally swallow my pride and approach Chef Aiden. Chef Aiden, I was wondering if I could speak with you. Chef Aiden looks at me with a grin. Ever since the winter dinner, Chef's been smiling more, giving people high fives. I know he feels relief that the majority of the money was covered, a relief I do not feel. Angelica was able to sell my clothes for $45. Buela left a big face 50 near my bed this morning, and I'm not sure where she got it. Her disability check doesn't come again until next month, but that still means I have two days to find $180. Imani, the fundraiser of the century, what can I do for you? I smile back at him, although I feel sick inside. How can you be a good fundraiser if you didn't reach your goal? I was wondering if I could maybe get a bit more time to pay the deposit. I'm still short some. I slide the hundred dollars his way. He looks down at the bills, then up at me. Oh, Imani. I wish I'd known you needed assistance. We had some students ask for help early on, and we were able to figure out a payment plan and even some extensions. But it's a bit late to scramble and make changes. I'll have to talk to Principal Holderness. But I can tell from his face he isn't optimistic. Does this mean if I can't find the money, I can't go? He slides the bills over to me, then pats my hand. Of course you're going, even if I have to pay for it myself, he says but the look in his eye is the same as Buela's when she told me she didn't have the cash. Two days just isn't enough time for people to rearrange their holiday money for something that isn't a necessity. He pats my hand again. We just have to come up with a creative solution. I'll talk to Principal Holderness. Hold on to your money for now. Thursday morning, I wake up, and everything in my body wants to stay in bed. I want to hide under my blankets and pretend the world doesn't exist outside these walls. But baby girl wakes out of a dream screaming and I pick her up to soothe her. It takes 15 minutes to get her calm enough to dress and feed. And I know I won't have time to dress myself in anything other than the leggings and t-shirt I slept in. When Buela asks me something about washing the dishes, I almost bite her head off. I'm in such a bad mood. But I catch myself before I say something I'll regret. If I can't go on the trip, it's no one's fault, especially not Buelas. Angelica must be able to tell how I'm feeling because she pulls her arm through mine as we walk to the bus stop and tries to distract me with celebrity gossip. When we are finally on the bus, I use my phone as a way to hide my face from her. I don't want her to see the tears in my eyes. I check my email, and there seems to be a message from Aunt Sarah. Her name is in the subject line, but it's a different address than the one I'm used to seeing almost as if it was rerouted from a website. I open the email, and the first thing I see is a dollar amount. Three hundred dollars. Note. Hey, niece. Sorry this is late. I know you told me in your last email the fundraiser would end earlier this week. I pulled this together from all your other aunties and uncles and cousins. I hope you can still use it. I love the pictures you sent from the dinner. I've never been anywhere farther than Raleigh, but I gather everyone needs some pocket change when they leave home, right? We are all so proud of you. 
Naya would be proud of you too. Love, Aunt Sarah, and the family. I'm shocked, and it must be visible, because Angelica grabs my arm. Imani, what's wrong? You're trembling. Aunt Sarah is my email auntie, the strongest connection to my mother, my kitchen confidant, but she's never sent money before, never organized that side of the family to send me a gift. I look out the window at the clouds, parting in the same way my bad mood is, sunlight peeking through both, and I know for a fact there's more than one kind of magic in this world. On Ice I've seen commercials for Disney on Ice my whole life, but never thought about going. And still, as we wait in line outside the Wells Fargo Center, I feel as giddy as the little kids jumping up and down in anticipation. From her stroller, Baby Girl keeps pointing at everyone and everything. Laura and Angelica hold hands, trying to look all cool and like they're only here because I asked, but I know they're excited too. Malachi is the funniest of us all, bouncing up and down on his toes to see if we're moving closer to the front of the line, making goofy faces at Baby Girl, and asking every Disney character who walks past us for a picture. Buela declined his invitation and said she was going to meet up with a friend instead. You young people go have fun with your Disney. I'm going to drink a cafecito and gossip. As we approach the entrance, Malachi fishes out the tickets from his pocket and steps forward. Angelica reaches down to fuss with the cover of Baby Girl Stroller. I've been meaning to ask you, how did Tyrone take this news? I don't look at her when I shrug, and she shoves my shoulder. Imani, please tell me you told him. She hisses at me, but I don't have a chance to say anything. Not that I was going to say a damn thing before Malachi is ushering the rest of us forward. But Angelica won't quit. She whispers low enough so that only I can hear her. Imani, didn't he lose his shit last time because Baby Girl was in the same house as Malachi? I pull her closer to me and make sure Malachi and Laura are speaking with each other before I say anything. Angelica, he flipped out last time because he didn't like the idea of me dating. I know he has Baby Girl around other girls. I know he dates. It's not his weekend, and if I want to take my daughter to Disney on Ice, who is he to say I can't? Angelica shakes her head and throws up her hands. Laura must sense her girl being all dramatic because she stops mid-sentence to look at us. Both Angelica and I pay smiles on our faces. Everything okay? Malachi asks when we catch up with them. I smile bigger. Too big. He's got to know something is bugging me, but I'm not going to let Angelica's words water the seed of guilt blooming in my stomach. Everything is fine. Thank you for this. I know Emma is going to love it. Right, baby girl? At both of our faces peering down at her, Emma gets shy and burrows her head into the side of her stroller. I laugh. Trust me, she's excited. That's her excited face. Malachi laughs. Cool. I'm glad this worked out. My aunt gets extra tickets and she sees it every year. Your aunt? I say. We are finally at the gate. I thought you said you had a friend with a hookup. I never said friend. My aunt works here. She's my hookup. We're actually about to see her now. Smile, Santi. Side by side. Hey, Auntie Jordan. Malachi leans down to hug a little woman in a black-collared shirt and slacks. 
The woman has a walkie-talkie in one hand, which she pats against Malachi's back when he bends down to hug her. She still has her arm around his waist when she turns to the group. He points at each of us in turn. Let me introduce you to Angelica and Laura, and that's Imani, and the little queen in the stroller is Emma. Auntie Jordan looks up at him with a gruff expression. Boy, what did I tell you about pointing at people? Just because your mama isn't here doesn't mean you forget what she's taught you. But as quick as she frowns, she's smiling and letting Malachi go. And this little one, well, isn't she precious? I'm glad these tickets could go to good use. With my kids out the house so long, my complimentary tickets usually go unused. I'm glad this year someone who can actually appreciate it will be watching. She pats Malachi on the cheek and I instantly love her. Malachi's smile is clearly inherited from his mom's side because the woman looks just as happy and sweet as he does when he smiles. Thank you, ma'am. We're really looking forward to it, I say. She gives me a look that I don't know how to read. Malachi talks about you all the time. I'm glad to finally meet you. I don't look at Malachi as I nod. Well, you all go in. I have some paperwork to do in my office, so I won't be able to join you. But make sure you enjoy. We enter through one of the first floor gates and look for the letter and number combination that indicates our row. As I replay the conversation, something twists in my stomach. Malachi talks about me to his aunt? Before I know it, my thoughts are absorbed in the music, the colorful lights, the characters in their large costumes as they skate and twirl and jump in the air. I don't have any words except to say, it's magical. And I'm just as into it as baby girl. She bounces along in my lap and Angelica's lap. I wish I could do this for her more often, give her these kinds of adventures. Malachi leans over, his breath warm on my ear. Smile, Santi. This is the greatest show on earth. You got the wrong show, homie. I think that saying was for a circus show, not Disney. I wasn't talking about what's happening over there, Malachi says tugging on one of my curls. I was talking about what's happening right here. He links his fingers with mine, and I'm glad baby girl's in Angelica's lap, bouncing and bucking. I'm so glad my hand is free, so it can be inside of Malachi's. You're ridiculous, I say laughing. What does that even mean? Malachi doesn't answer, and I don't pull my hand from his for the rest of the show. Chivalry Auntie Jordan lets us through a side door, which means we avoid the rush. We are immediately sucker-punched by cold air, and I pull the plastic cover tighter over Emma's stroller. One of the things that I hate most about winter is that even though it's only 4.30, it's already dark out, and the temperature dropped 20 degrees in the two hours we were inside, so now it's barely in the double digits. I try to blow heat onto my gloved hands. Malachi is still inside speaking with his aunt, Laura and Angelica are snuggling into each other's necks. You two go ahead. Laura's house is in the opposite direction, so it's not like we're walking to the same train. Angelica gives me exactly three seconds to reconsider before she grabs Laura's hand and flounces, literally flounces, away with Laura laughing behind her. Goodbye, Imani. Thanks for including us, Laura says over her shoulder. I don't blame them for not wanting to stick around. I like how light Laura makes Angelica feel, how happy they are to hold hands and just love. And then Malachi is standing beside me, and he's tucked my hand into his, 
and he's holding the stroller with his other hand, and I'm a web of knots. The feelings of this growing crush tangle with the feelings of guilt and doubt about whether or not I should pursue this, but I wish I could strip myself of my past and enjoy who I am right now. My aunt ordered us a ride share so we don't have to walk in the cold when we get off at your bus stop. So that's what they'd been in there discussing, where I lived. I don't have a car seat for her, so I'm not sure that will work, I say. But Malachi surprises me. I know. We requested a car with a car seat. It's not the kind of thing I would imagine him thinking about. We are quiet as we wait. And when the car pulls up, I unbuckle baby girl, and Malachi holds open the door for me before folding up her stroller. We ride the 20 minutes home in silence, listening to R&B on the radio. My house is dark when we walk in. I close the door behind me and turn on the living room light. I'm so glad Disney tired baby girl out and she was asleep in the car before the first song finished playing on the radio. It's too early for her to go to bed, but I don't have it in my heart to wake her up. I'll just deal with her midnight energy when it comes. I take her upstairs and lay her down in her crib. When I come back down, Malachi is using the bathroom. I'm rinsing out a glass in the sink when I hear him follow me into the kitchen. I turn to ask him if he wants some water, but his arm that slipped around my waist and touching bare skin startles me. I freeze for a moment, and it's not until I hear the glass shatter against the tile floor that I realize it fell from my hand. We scramble back from each other, and I listen to Baby Girl's monitor to make sure the noise didn't wake her. When I'm greeted by silence from Baby Girl, I drop to my knees to pick up the shards of glass. Malachi follows me down, and we are nose to nose for one second before I scoop up some big chunks and carry them to the trash bin. Malachi grabs a broom in the kitchen corner and takes care of the smaller pieces. You're good with kids, I say when we've cleaned up. Yeah, my mom used to say the same thing. Even when he was being an asshole, I had patience with my little brother. Imani, are you bleeding? I look down at my hand. I hadn't even noticed a small cut on my palm. Let me see, he says. He pulls me over to the sink and puts my hand under running water, then inspects my cut palm. After a moment, he curls my hand around his and kisses my knuckles. Not so bad. Nothing a little peroxide and a band-aid won't fix. I shake my head. Dr. Malachi Johnson, here to save the day. He applied to Morehouse Early Decision weeks ago and should be hearing back any day now. Not yet, but that's the plan. Malachi and I have talked about his dream to start a practice back in his hood. He insists they need more people from home trying to help home, and I think about the way he cradled my hand and inspected my cut, how he makes me smile when I'm upset. I think about how sure he is when he walks into a room and how he participates in every class he takes, and I know Malachi is going to be an amazing doctor one day. Sometimes, when he talks about returning to Newark, he reminds me of my father. A love for home so deep, you go out into the world with the sole purpose of bringing the world back to your hood. And the similarities make me smile and hurt at the same time. Malachi has his future planned out. He knows exactly what he wants and how he's going to get it. And me? I've barely finished my college essay, much less submitted it anywhere. Malachi awkwardly shuffles his feet. I take my hand out of his. I want to hold my own hands when I ask the question. Malachi, what is this? What are we doing?
he takes a step back. I don't know. I don't think that's a question I need to answer by myself, is it? You seem to want to take it slow, so we've been taking it slow. I remember what Angelica said the last time she was here, about designing my own kind of reality. And I think part of that is owning when I don't know what I want that reality to look like. Thank you for taking it slow. To be honest, I'm not sure what I want. Not with you, not with college, not with anything. Baby girl is the only thing in my life I'm clear on. It costs me to say the words. I feel like I'm giving him a picture of all the different questions I have, of how much of a mess I am. But instead of stepping back and saying I'm right, Malachi takes my uncut hands in his. And even though I didn't think I wanted him to hold it a second ago, I'm glad we are touching again. He doesn't say a word, and somehow the silence lets me push more words out. I think I like you. Each word is a small piece of myself I hand over. And I want to keep doing this, being friends, who like each other. Not that you said you like me. Malachi gives my finger a squeeze and smiles. Not his full dimple smile, but a smile that seems like it's just for me. You need to hear me say it, huh? I like you. I gulp. I don't want to disappoint you. I don't know. What I don't know is what to say next. My hand is still in his, and this moment feels too awkward. I'm not used to asking for anything. I don't know what I want from you, or if I want anything more than this. I don't know if or when I'll be ready for more than this. There, I said it. But maybe I didn't say it, because Malachi seems confused. Imani, are we talking about sex? I try to tug my hand out of his, but he holds mine fast. I just don't know if I'm ready for that, or to be your girlfriend, or anything more than this. I can't stop repeating myself, but it's like the words have dried up, and all I have left in the bottom of my cup are the same phrases I've been saying. He shrugs. Okay. Okay. We'll figure it out, right? And if one of us needs something different, we'll say that. Right? He leans down, and for a second I think he's going to kiss me. But then he just rests his forehead against mine. This can't be real life. I think I'm going to head home. It sounds like baby girl might be waking up upstairs. And I realize he's right. Baby girl's babbling from her crib. Are you going to call a car again? I ask. Nah, I'll walk to the train, he says, zipping up his coat and pulling his hat down tight over his ears. That's like a 20-minute walk. In the cold. And then the dimples are back. I know. I think it'll do me some good. I walk him to the door, and just as he leaves, he turns back one more time. Did you hear that last song that played in the car on our way here? Of course I did. I was even singing along. The roots are legends, and that song is a classic. I nod. Don't worry, Imani. You got me. When it rains. With only three days left of school before winter break, things have been busy. Angelica has been spending her lunch periods working on a final project for her graphic design class. 
Malachi has been using all his free time applying for scholarships. And me? I've been holed up in the school library, studying for these last exams before the quarter finishes. It's probably because I'm so distracted that I break the one rule every student at Schomburg Charter knows better than to break. I get caught on my phone in between classes. I was trying to call Buela after lunch to remind her I was going grocery shopping today, and the next thing I know, a guard has plucked it out of my hand and is already writing me up. I try to explain, but he won't budge. The guard is new, and I know he doesn't know me or my circumstances because all he can do is remind me of the same tired rules. If you want your phone back, you'll need a signed release form from your parent or guardian. And I almost laugh in his face when he utters those words. I can sign permission slips for my own daughter, but can't sign one for myself? Sir, I really think you should speak to my advisor. I have a kid. I need my phone. But either he doesn't believe me or he doesn't care because he just shrugs and leaves with my phone in his hand. I could go to the front office and try and get someone there on my side, but I know from past experience the office staff usually sides with the security officers. I'll have to wait until the morning to get my phone back. By the time the end of the day arrives, I'm ready to be home. I bump the door open with my hip, and readjust the two grocery bags I got after school. Buela? Baby girl? I call upstairs as I go into the kitchen and set the bags onto the counter. I sure hope Buela didn't have another doctor's appointment today, but she would have brought baby girl home first. I plan to sit her down tonight and ask what's happening. I've been watching her closely and even changed up what I've been cooking for her to include more vegetables and less butter but I know that all these doctor's appointments must mean something is wrong, and I'm going to have to face it sooner or later, regardless of how much she wants to protect me. Maybe they are upstairs taking a nap. I try to distract myself from thoughts of illness by putting away the groceries. I might have gone a little overboard today buying some new spices. I swear, I can spend all day at the supermarket. I especially love the one in our neighborhood that brings an ingredient straight from the island. I get to walk the aisles and pick up herbs and peppers from all over the world, thinking of all the ways to remix my favorite dishes. Buela? I call out again, but nobody answers. It's almost 4.30, and it's strange for the house to be so quiet at this time. I walk through the living room, picking up toys and bibs. I call out again, and it only takes my going halfway up the stairs to realize no one is home. The upstairs is dark and silent. Buela must have taken baby girl to the park, although it's too cold for that. Maybe she got caught up talking to one of our neighbors. I hope she didn't forget that she asked me to do the grocery shopping. The last thing we need is for her to walk in here with more gallons of milk or extra boxes of cereal. I organize the magazines in the living room, wipe down the coffee table, and put away all of baby girl's toys and books that somehow always wind up between the couch cushions like a sharp gift for my backside when I sit down. I glance at the wall clock. Almost five. The sky outside has already lost the sun. Buela doesn't have that many friends in the neighborhood. She's mostly friendly with the neighborhood church ladies and the families on either side of our house, but not enough to drop by their houses. Something is wrong. And as if it guessed my thoughts, the house phone rings. I dive for it. Hello? I bite back on the panic I feel. 
a throat clears. Imani, this is Mrs. Palmer, Tyrone's mother. Close to three years, and she still thinks I don't know her relationship to my family. Hello, Mrs. Palmer. Is everything okay? The phone rattles some before she speaks again. Well, no. Everything is not okay. Emma came down with a fever. The daycare has been trying to call you all day, but no one has answered. They tried your grandmother's cell phone, but it seems to be off, and no one was answering the house phone. Damn, damn, damn. Is Emma okay? Where is she? My phone is still at school. Do you have her? Mm-hmm, Mrs. Palmer says, as if she doubts my explanation and believes I would intentionally not answer my phone. Well, it's a good thing that they had both parents on file. They eventually called Tyrone, who called me. I left work early to pick the baby up. Doesn't your grandmother usually do this? Where is she? I'd like to speak to her. Mrs. Palmer always does this. Acts as if I'm too young and stupid to discuss my own daughter. But the thing is, I don't know where Buela is. But I don't want Mrs. Palmer to think that both Buela and I are irresponsible. She had a doctor's appointment and she's not home yet. It must have run late. She's always good about picking her up. Are you home? I'll come get baby girl. I'm frantic to get my baby in my arms, but I bite out some politeness. I'm sorry they bothered you, Mrs. Palmer. Yes, well. Now that I know you're home, I'll drop her off myself. There's a reason we got that baby seat installed, after all. I hang up the phone. My bottom lip hurts, and I realize I've been chewing on it the whole conversation. I throw a scarf on and head outside to wait for Mrs. Palmer. It pours. Mrs. Palmer's brown suede coat sways over her heavy-set frame as she undoes all the buckles that hold baby girl safe in the car. I try not to anxiously peer past the car door or push her and undo baby girl myself. I tug the scarf around my neck to keep Mrs. Palmer from seeing my hands are trembling. Mrs. Palmer plucks baby girl from her car seat and backs out of the car. She'd be a pretty woman if she didn't always have her face looking like she smells something ripe. She didn't like me from jump since before I was pregnant but Tyrone says she's like that with everyone. She hands baby girl over carefully, and the gentle way she does it makes me almost like her. I rub my head against the top of baby girl's soft hair. She whimpers up at me, and even through the crown of her hair, I can feel how warm she is. I murmur to her a bit before tucking her to me. I'm small, but never too small to carry my kid like she's the most precious thing I have. From the trunk of her car, Mrs. Palmer pulls out baby girl's stroller and diaper back. Thank you, Mrs. Palmer. I appreciate it. Again, I'm sorry about this. She clears her throat and gives a brisk nod. Well, I certainly won't be dropping work every time you and your grandmother are too negligent to take care of Emma. I know you and Tyrone have an informal arrangement and I would be remiss if I didn't say that so far it seems to be working for you two. But you best believe that if he ever chooses to challenge that arrangement in court, I will ensure this incident is put on the record. The polite smile slides off my face.
Did Mrs. Palmer just hint at Tyrone wanting custody of baby girl? Did she just imply she would be supportive of that, even though she's never actually wanted baby girl? I placed my trembling hand on my child's hot cheek to keep it from doing harm to Mrs. Palmer. Hey, baby girl. I really wish you would start calling her by her name. All this baby girl mess is likely to confuse her. I ignore the shit out of Mrs. Palmer, because if I said anything right now, it would probably burn a permanent hole right through her higher-than-mighty attitude, and I have to remember, this is my daughter's grandmother. Baby girl, I've got you now. Gonna get some medicine in you and make you feel better. I say firmly, kissing the top of her head. I put a hand on her cheek. Besides her whimpers, she's unbelievably quiet. Goodbye, Mrs. Palmer. I tug the baby bag over my shoulder and drag the stroller with me toward the house steps. Wait a second. I picked this up figuring you might not have any, and a little more never hurts if you do. She hands over a brown paper bag. I peek inside. Children's Tylenol. I grab it with the same hand holding baby girl. For the fever. And really, you should be more responsible about your cell phone. You have a child, Imani. People need to contact you about her. She hesitates a second, then runs two fingers down baby girl's cheek. She wiggles those fingers through the air as a goodbye and walks back to her car. She's off before I can wave back, before I can say thank you, before I can say I always have plenty of children's Tylenol, before I can ask her why Tyrone wasn't the one to pick up baby girl or why I'm accused of being the irresponsible one, but he's so often excused from having to be as much of a father as I am a mother. Blood boil. Crazy-ass woman thinks just because she's an insurance officer at some hospital, she can treat me like I'm an idiot. Mrs. Palmer always makes my blood hot. It's like she's a woolly mammoth whose most comfortable seat is my last nerve. Even after all this time, I feel inadequate any time I speak to her. Where is Buela? She always knows how to smile at Mrs. Palmer and nod and pleasantly still get her way. For a moment, I'm mad at Buela. If she had picked baby girl up like she was supposed to, this wouldn't have happened. But then I have to remember, Buela isn't baby girl's mom. I sit baby girl in her booster seat and pour some fresh juice into her sippy cup to help her with the taste of the medicine. She must have picked up a bug at the ice show this past weekend. All of those people in one space, sneezing and stuff. And it was chilly when we left. Her coat is pretty thick and I had her bundled up, but maybe she was just out too long. I need to put towels around the window or call the landlord to turn the heat up higher. The door snaps open, and Buela bustles in with her cheeks pink from the cold and mouth red as if she'd been rubbing it. She stops at the door of the kitchen. She has grocery bags in each hand. She must have done rollers late last night because her hair falls in soft waves around her face. She looks pretty, her eyes twinkling. And the moment I see her, I start to cry. Not even angry, silent tears, but straight-up chest-heaving, face-uggling, snot immediately dribbling into mouth, crying. I put baby girl's sippy cup on the counter with a trembling hand and wipe my face. Her bags fall to the floor, but I don't see them land because I'm covering my eyes trying to push the tears back in. Imani, 
¿Qué te pasa? Vuela pulls me to her. What's wrong? She holds onto my wrists and tries to peer into my face until I drop my hands and let them hang limp at my side. Where were you? I finally get out through my sobs. I had a doctor's appointment, mija, and they needed to reschedule it a bit later. She lets me go and walks to the fridge. I left you a note. She holds up a bit of paper that she's attached to the fridge with an alphabet magnet. Buela, you asked me to pick up groceries. She looks at me blankly, the smile falling from her face. I didn't get home until 4.30. Baby girl has a fever, and they were calling from the daycare. They said your phone was turned off. Why would you leave a note on the fridge but not text me? She glares at me. I did text you. Buela rushes past me and runs upstairs. When she comes back down, she holds two little pink socks she slides on baby girl's feet. She then picks her up and cuddles her close, tight under her chin. We need to force her to break the fever. Did you give her medicine? Yeah. Mrs. Palmer bought some children's Tylenol, and she was nasty to me as usual, and she said I was irresponsible and talked about custody, and I didn't know where you were. Buela's mouth becomes a hard white line. You called Mrs. Palmer? And she said what about custody? I sniffle back the tears. No, the daycare called Tyrone. Tyrone called his mother. They didn't know who else to contact. And I think she was just being mean, not serious, but she did mention something about my being unfit. We stand there unmoving, unblinking. Baby girl breaks the silence with a sniffle. Her little face scrunched up into a red and silent cry. Buela reaches for her, but I get there first and pull baby girl out of her grasp. It's okay, baby. I'm here. Mommy's here. I begin to carry her out of the room, but turn around before walking through the doorway. Buela, why have you been going to the doctor so much? I raise myself to my full height. I can take whatever she throws at me. Buela fiddles with her wedding band before looking at me. I'm not sick, Imani. I've lied to you. I haven't had all those doctor's appointments. I just needed a private afternoon with my thoughts where I'm not in this house, where I'm Gloria again, and not only Buela. I don't know how to explain it, and I don't want to talk about it. I bury my face into baby girl's neck so neither one of them can see the tears in my eyes, the relief laced with hurt. Holidays Buela always treated Christmas like she would if she was still on the island, which means that Christmas Eve was a huge deal. A big-ass pernil dinner and coquito, and I got to stay up late and open my gifts at midnight. Then, on Christmas Day, I would go to Angelica's house and have Christmas dinner with them and watch holiday specials on TV. It was the best of both worlds. And with baby girl, I try to bring in both traditions, feed her both days, let her open gifts both days. Thankfully. She's over her cold and able to enjoy the holiday. And although I'm too old to ask for gifts or expect much, I never know how to react when people get me a gift. Angelica has me open an elaborately wrapped box, and inside is a really pretty wrap dress that she found at the thrift store and said made her think of me. It's a beautiful dark red, and the skirt swirls around my knees. I feel older, like the woman I always say I am. I baked her a dozen colorful macaroons. It took me forever to get them right. But when Angelica opens the bakery box and sees the orange, 
blue, and pink desserts, I'm glad I kept trying batch after batch. She pulls one out of the box like it's a piece of expensive jewelry. Then she stuffs the whole thing in her mouth and grins, her teeth covered in spun sugar. On Christmas morning, my cell phone vibrates, and I wake up to Malachi, his deep voice breaking on the high notes of a Christmas carol, and it's so silly, but also beautiful. I just cradle the phone and wonder at the different kinds of gifts we can give one another. Buela and I have been quietly tiptoeing around each other since the day baby girl came home sick, but the holiday throws open the curtains and lets light diminish, or at least hide, the remnants of our awkward conversation. On New Year's Eve, I sent Aunt Sarah a picture of her black-eyed peas recipe. I simmered them in a compo of purple grapes, which is not a part of Aunt Sarah's original recipe, but Buela says eating grapes at midnight means good fortune for the new year. And in her notes, Aunt Sarah said the same for black-eyed peas, so I figured combining both would double my luck in this coming year. The rest of my break is fine. I spend a lot of it working afternoons at the Burger John, finishing homework assignments due after the break, snapping pictures of baby girl, and cuddling with her on the couch. I finished my Common App College essay just in time to meet most of the deadlines on January 1st. I applied to all the schools that Miss Fuentes and I discussed, but my heart isn't into them, not even Drexel with its dope culinary arts program. The closer we get to graduation, the more I feel like I want to be doing, not spending four years pretending to do. New Year, New Recipes It's my first day back at school after the break, and during culinary arts, Chef Aiden gives us our final itinerary for the trip. At work, I knock softly on the manager's door. Steve doesn't like being loudly interrupted. Steve, it's Imani. May I speak with you, please? Enter, he calls through the door, like he's some sort of king in Game of Thrones. He already sounds annoyed. I push the door open and peek my head in. I try not to roll my eyes. Although he's quick to close the screen he's looking at on the computer, a tab stays open for his social media. Clearly, he's getting a lot of work done. What can I do for you, Imani? I hope this isn't another schedule change. Even though Steve has an empty chair across from his desk, I stay standing. I clear my throat and look around at the chip paint walls and corners cluttered with boxes, everywhere but at Steve. Kind of, I was hoping, he slaps a hand on his desk. I hope you aren't going to ask me for another favor. I already make too many concessions for you as it is. You need to be home early on school nights. You can only work afternoon on Saturdays because you have to get your daughter ready for something. You can't work Sundays because you need to help your grandmother. It's always an excuse with you. I'm trying to run a business here, Imani, not an extracurricular training program for struggling moms. I swallow hard. It won't help to chew him out. I let go of a long breath. Of course, Steve, I understand that. I appreciate the exceptions. I know how much work you do to make sure all of your student employees can balance both their jobs and school. Steve likes it when you kiss his ass, and if that's what I have to do, fine. I can tell it works because he stops sitting so stiff and uncrosses his arms. He places them on the table with a long, dramatic sigh. Fine. What is it this time? I step closer to his desk and keep an equal balance of calmness and perkiness, 
although what I really feel is irritated I have to grovel at all. I got an opportunity at school to go on a trip to Spain during my spring break at the end of March. It'll be a week long, and I know you usually schedule me for three days a week, but maybe I can work six days the following week when I get back. It's not for a couple of months, but I wanted to ask in advance so I can add any hours I might need to balance it. And I worked a lot during the holidays. Steve leans back in his chair. This trip sounds like a vacation. You already use vacation days before Christmas. What was that for? Taking your daughter ice skating or something? Those holiday days you worked were already making up for previous hours. That was not what we agreed at the time, but I don't think correcting Steve will help right now. Steve keeps talking before he lets me answer any of his questions. Imani, I want to help. I really do. But aren't you a senior? You probably won't be here next year anyway. Maybe it's time we start looking at other options? My heart stops for a second. It sounds like he's trying to fire me. Am I fired because I asked you for time off? Several months in advance, even though I'm willing to work the days the following week? No, no, of course not. Steve sits up straight and holds his hands out like an alien coming in peace. I was merely making a suggestion that since it doesn't seem like you can fulfill the hours required for this job that we start considering alternatives. And I know what he's not saying. I've seen him do it to other employees. He cuts their hours until it costs more money to get to work than you make at work. I nod. Let's keep it all the way real, Steve. You're cutting my hours? Steve folds his hands. I'm just going to look for other workers to help you balance the hours you can't work. He doesn't look at me when he says it, but I lean over the desk and force his eyes my way when I reply. You're a nice man, Steve. So kind. I'm going to tell my grandmother to pray for you, and I hope he can see in my face that I just sprinkled the juju of a spiteful Puerto Rican grandmother all over his life. Money Talks Abuelo died before I was born, and he worked a job with little benefits and definitely no life insurance or any of that. But luckily, by then my father was full-grown, and the only mouth Abuela had to feed was her own. That is, until she adopted me, and also realized that her son wouldn't be helping much with my parenting. When she injured her hands and began receiving disability, Money around the house got a lot tighter. The disability check she gets only goes so far, and although she still does small sewing jobs for the church or our neighbors, it takes her three times as long as it used to to get anything done because her hand begins to ache. Her stitches, slow as they are, are still precise as ever. And she says even though it was her dominant hand that got stuck in the machine, she's thankful it wasn't the hand with her wedding band that's all scarred up. But once I got pregnant with baby girl, it quickly became clear that her disability money and side hustle jobs were going to barely be enough to cover rent and feed the three of us. I've known since I was little that we had to learn to treat money like a rubber band and stretch that jaw until it almost snaps. As soon as I was able to get a work permit in eighth grade, I did. I worked summer jobs. I worked after school. I've always worked to help Buela around the house. And losing my hours at the Burger John means I have to find a new way to help. And not just for the rest of this year. 
flash. January and February move fast as we prepare for state tests, begin work on our final projects, and give one last push to get our grades up before it gets too close to the end of the year. Before I know it, March rolls around. I should be happy. In three and a half weeks, I'm actually going to Spain. But the first week in March finds me anxious. Steve reduced my hours to two or three a week, and the money I was making wasn't enough to make a dent on most of the costs we have. I finally quit when I realized it wasn't worth the round-trip fare when I was mostly breaking even. Malachi and I are still circling each other, friends who hold hands and sometimes flirt, but nothing more. We don't talk about the future, and we don't push for more than this. He found out he was accepted to Morehouse back in December, and regardless of what I end up doing, there will be distance between us. Angelica has been busy with Laura and some last-minute applications, and the icing on the cake, Tyrone is taking baby girl this weekend, and I can't even look forward to hanging out with her. When I hand her over to him Saturday morning, the fist around my heart squeezes tight, and it takes everything inside me to not ask him if we could skip this weekend. Tyrone bundles her up, and she waves goodbye to me while jibber-jabbering in his ear. I turn into a hug from Buela, and she pats my hair. Want me to make lunch, and then we can watch Remember the Titans or The Blind Spot? Buela loves a good sports pep talk, and I know it's an offer she can't refuse. Buela doesn't look at me as she walks to the coat closet and pulls out her long overcoat. The weather is still cold, and it might even snow. She wraps a Super Bowl scarf around her neck. I can't, mija. She doesn't say anything else. I haven't asked about where she goes when she says she's going to a doctor's appointment, even though we both know it's code for Gloria time. She makes it clear it isn't my business. She gives me a kiss on the cheek, and with a final whiff in the air of her vanilla perfume, she shuts the door behind her. I think about calling Malachi or seeing if I can bribe Angelica with food, even if it means I crash a date between her and Laura. But instead, I go into the kitchen and take ingredients out of the fridge. I make Buela's recipe for sofrito that I'll use to season the ground beef, softening the garlic and onions, adding tomato paste. This is the first step for most traditional dishes, the flavoring that gives a rich taste for everything from beans to stew. Then I brown meat and make a homemade sauce from fresh tomatoes. I grate fine shreds of mozzarella cheese and boil sheets of pasta. While the oven is preheating, I slowly layer my guilt, my hope, and a hundred dreams. I don't know if it means anything at all, but Buela has always said my hands are magical, and I use them now to put all my feelings into the pan. I put together a salad, making sure it's not overdressed, and then I sit down watching as the oven timer counts down. When the oven chimes, I pull the lasagna out and wash the dishes in the sink while I let it rest for a couple of minutes. My fingers are itching to grab my phone, to talk to someone, to distract myself on social media, but instead, I take out a plate and place a thick square of lasagna on it, decorated with some basil. I plate my salad and set the small kitchen table. From the fridge, I pour myself a small glass of Buela's holiday wine. I know she'll raise an eyebrow when she sees I had some, but she won't reprimand me. Growing up, she was allowed to drink from the time she was 14, and she finds the alcohol rules on the mainland excessive. And even if she did say something, I don't think it would bother me.
because today I am alone in my kitchen with a meal I made myself. I sit at the table and cut a bite of the lasagna. I don't know what I'm going to be or who I am not. My own desires are thickly layered like the food on my plate, but I know that one day soon I'll be a grown-ass woman, so I let myself enjoy the meal, the moment, and my own company. Spain Are you sure you have everything? Si, abuela, I answer for the fiftieth time. It's finally the day I leave for Spain, and my suitcase is packed. Baby girl's daycare pickup schedule has been finalized by Buela and Mrs. Palmer, and we've agreed repeatedly that I'll FaceTime them every night. Did you pack a skirt for church? I nod, even though she and I both know I'm not going to church unless it's a part of a tourist event. Buela peers into my suitcase. And you put all of your hair products in Ziploc baggies? The worst thing would be if they spill all over your clothes. I can imagine several worse things, but I nod dutifully. Si, abuela. She claps her hands together. Oh, an umbrella. What if it rains? I grab her arm before she finds something else for me to pack, and I hug her tight. It's only seven days. I'm going to be fine. I love you. Abuela pats my back and runs off to call her friend from the doctor's office, Mr. Jagoda, to make sure he knows the exact time he needs to pick me up for the Philadelphia airport. I'm not sure what I'll talk to him about, but a free ride was too good to resist. Malachi's aunt will be taking him, and although some of the other kids were coordinating rides, Pretty Leslie is the only other person who lives near me, and she didn't ask for a ride, and I for damn sure didn't offer. I pick baby girl out of her crib. I really need to get on buying her a bed, and she snuggles in next to me. This time tomorrow I'll be in Spain, and this is the most excited and scared I've been since I birthed this little bean. For a whole week, I'll be able to birth a new version of myself, and I can't wait. Arrival The moment the wheels land on the tarmac, I let go of the breath I didn't know I'd been holding. It's afternoon here, six hours ahead of Philly, and from the airplane windows as we landed, I got a view of the city of Madrid, big city blocks and red-roofed houses. Next to me, Amanda squeezes my hand. Richard squeezes hers. Throughout the flight, the whole class kept getting up and talking to one another, walking down the aisles in our socks, and probably being way too Philly for a flight to Europe, but none of us cared. I was able to sit next to Malachi and nap on his shoulder throughout the flight, but the flight attendant had people return to their assigned seats for the landing. We are giddy as a bunch of little kids in a brand new playground. Some of us, like me, are on a plane for the first time in our lives. The airplane food wasn't as bad as people make it out to seem, and the flight attendants were super sweet. They even giggled when Malachi jokingly asked for a white wine with his dinner, although as Chef Aiden's loud, young man, from a couple of rows back, they quickly wiped the smiles off their faces, although their eyes still twinkled. Getting our suitcase is a hot mess because some people, pretty Leslie, thought it was a good idea to bring two suitcases and a duffel bag, although we're only here for a week. We have to wait for the luggage, and then we move through customs. Chef walks around counting us over and over again, as if one of us might have decided this was a bad idea, and climbs back onto the plane. Malachi leans against the wall with me as we wait for everyone else and kicks my foot gently. We're here, he says, and then smiles.
We are almost here, I say back, and I know my smile matches his. We still have a bus to take to Sevilla, but still, we are in Spain. Somehow, we made it happen. I look around at all of us, a colorful group of Americans. Not just our skin, although we are colorful in that sense too, but just everything about us. The fitteds, the Jordans and foams, the cut-off jeans, the bright lipstick and fresh sweats would make you think we were getting off a video shoot and not an eight-hour flight. We look beautiful and hood and excited to see the world, and none of us are hiding from this world seeing us. All of us shining, despite what it took to earn our way here. Roommates The bus that picks us up for the five-hour trip to Sevilla is small, and we have to sit hip to hip. Chef hurls his bulky body into the front seat and begins talking in rapid Spanish to the driver. I didn't even know he spoke Spanish. What's he saying? Malachi whispers in my ear. His breath tickles my neck, and it feels so good I almost let out a little sigh before I catch myself. Don't get caught up, Imani. That is not what you're here for. I scoot over, trying not to make it seem like I'm scooting over. That they're taking us hostage to an underground black market, I say with a straight face. Something about Liam Neeson coming to save us? He flings his arm around my shoulder. You're a cornball, Santi. The bus starts moving, and I press my face against the window. I take in the large churches, the tall buildings that look like elegant wedding cakes, the city center and monuments. As we leave the city behind us, I watch the landscape as Malachi naps with his head on my shoulder. I see so many green fields and squat trees with purple flowers, and I find them all beautiful. But then I doze off too. A cheer from the front of the bus wakes me up. We are finally in Sevilla, if the welcome sign on the road in front of us is to be believed. The streets are paved in cobblestones, and all the little shops have wide awnings that give off shade. We circle through a plaza where men and women sit cuddled up on benches and eating ice cream. It doesn't look very different from the States, except there are a lot of tan white folks and more colorful architecture. The bricks on the houses, bright pinks and yellows, and trees with bright fruit that shines even in the dark. We pass a family sitting on the corner, holding a sign. They are olive-skinned, with dark hair and colorful skirts. Oh, look, Leslie says, pointing. Gypsies. I read they have a lot of them here. The smallest one is a child about Emma's age, wearing a red vest and short pants. He bangs the cup he's using to collect money on the cobblestones. The van starts moving again, and we pass crowds standing outside bars, then cross a bridge into what seems like a more residential area. I read that word isn't what they like to be called, Malachi says to me, but he says it loud enough for everyone, including pretty Leslie, to hear him. The van pulls up into the parking lot of a bakery where a group of people are waiting for us. They're older, with thick waists, mostly women. Chef shifts in the front of the seat so he can look at us, all ten of us sleepy teen chefs. Okay, group, these people will be the host families you will stay with this week. In the morning, we'll meet back here for different tours. You will return to your host family for lunch and siesta, and in the afternoon, you will each serve as a chef's apprentice for one of the eateries in the area. Any questions? I look around, then raise my hand. Are we staying alone? Why, you want Malachi to go with you? Pretty Leslie says, 
and some of the other girls laugh. I'm glad it's dark 